and welcome to another episode of the Lookout Landing podcast. I am Kate Prusser, managing editor of Lookout Landing, and joining me, as always, is the noble, the strong, the morally resilient John Troopin. John, how are you today? <laughs> Apparently, morally resilient, which is excellent. See, you, when, when you've you're done a good noble, job of. Uh, yes, yes. Well, it, what it makes me think of is unfortunately uh, a, our, my 7th uh, and 8th grade um, sort of history class where we did a unit on the Middle Ages and I was chosen to be a noble, uh, which was very fun, except that the strong part uh, comes in where I was having a fight, a sword fight uh, in the back of the class with the other noble uh, and ended up breaking a girl's nose on accident uh, who was nearby, uh, <sighs> which resulted in me being put in a dungeon and having <laughs> to sit underneath a table for a week. So... Uh, that there does not seem to be an accepted pedagogical practice. I don't know how much things have changed since the late 2000s, but... Pub public school is many merits, and I, I stand by its excellence. Mm. <laughs> Seems anyway. like the kind of thing they would have tried to get away with in private school, but I'm very surprised that that passed muster at our well, fine public institutions. <laughs> Well, it did also involve me getting excommunicated, which was my eventual punishment, because all of the punishment happened within the class or within the fiction of of the unit. So, uh, I did have to lie on a pe on a table uh, in a crucified position, uh, while a kid uh, dressed up like a priest read some actual stuff out of the Bible and then slammed it shut on a lit candle to uh, signify the extinguishing of my life in the eyes of God, um, which I'm a little worried might have actually been <laughs> mis misunderstood to be very real. Uh, and It's not like I've been really showering myself in religious glory to begin with, but that that is certainly a, uh, uh, a a concern of mine in the in the long term. So. Yeah, I am all for immersive <laughs> and cross disciplinary education, but I feel like the point where you're putting a student on a table in a crucified position <laughs> is maybe maybe that's a good time for some peer review with uh, with your fellow uh, teachers who can hey. pull pull you out of that. Because woof. Shout out! Shout out to <clears throat> Miss Shadow. Uh, R.I.P. She was the very best. Okay, um, we have we have yeah. And she's <laughs> dead apparently. R.I.P. She is she is dead. It's not funny. It's just, John, why do you great. tell these stories on the podcast? <laughs> why do they always end up with people dying? Uh, a lot of people I know are really old. Oh my god. <laughs> Well, we're really glad you chose to spend <laughs> some time with us, Mariners fan, because we know you're already cheery. So here we are to pump you up even more with say, tales spent... of excommunication and death. And speaking of excommunication <laughs> and death, the last <laughs> ten games of the oh, season. We need a sound effects board so I can make the womp womp sound. <laughs> I am terrified of what you would do with a sound effects board. but Hey! I am a mature and responsible adult who would definitely not make a fart sound every time you said something I disagreed with. Um, I can only hope. 
Speaking of fart sounds, yes, the last 10 games. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I mean, we the Astros are quite simply a better team, right? Like, I knew we weren't going to win those games. I was hoping we would get out of one of them with a win. I thought Andrew Moore pitched well on Sunday. Uh, they just... Uh, <laughs> Andrew Moore plus Verlander. I, I mean, that's a... <laughs> That's a tough road. To, that that's a punt game if I've ever heard of one. But they and should I mean, have the been first, able to make some hay earlier, and they just weren't. Yeah, and the first game of that series, you know, they were right in it as well, and they just, you know, they it was, I it felt like all season they were able to hang around by, when we actually have everyone healthy. Oh, we're a pretty good team, and yeah. then everyone gets hurt, and it's and it's crap, and it's like, oh, but everyone gets healthy, and they go on a little bit of a run, and and. This past and week has been was sort of the first stretch where, I mean, obviously you know you had pa- you know Felix and Paxton not really back, but you know at least able to pitch. Um, no, you had Felix and Paxton doing rehab starts. I mean, that's right. that's very different. And th- that was Felix's start. Those are rehab starts, so yeah. the expectations for them need to be adjusted accordingly. For sure. Um, but, but here, here you come was... making your rehab start against the best hitting team in the American <laughs> League. Have fun. Maybe the Indians ha- or the Cleveland has passed them since, but yeah, uh, that's that's a rough yeah. assignment to draw for your first time back on the mound in a month. Right. And uh, and and then the last few games, I guess. I mean, all of this, all of this, I think, has sort of deserves the caveat of. They have not really been in it for about three weeks because they've just been sort of sputtering. But mm-hmm. this was this was a stretch of games where they had a chance, and you, it some of that is is looking back on it because you know maybe you didn't expect that the Twins would completely do nothing, um, you know, would just come tread water or you know, be equally lousy, and the Angels, when not playing the Mariners, well, I guess not even that, we, you know, they won two out of three against the Angels last time, but, you know, the Angels have also been rather unremarkable. They also uh, ran into the Indians' buzzsaw. Yes, but, you know, I mean, it's, it, you would, you essentially have a situation where, you know, probably Minnesota's just going to whoop on Detroit anyway, and sort of reestablish their lead, and Probably the Angels are going to be tough to beat in LA, and probably the Mariners were not are not going to do much against Trevor Bauer, Carlos Carrasco, and <laughs> Corey Kluber <laughs> this weekend. <laughs> um, which is uh, just so sweet that that's the last home series of the yeah, year. Yeah, what a fitting end to 2017. <laughs> you know, but I it's I think it's it we've talked about it a little bit but this has felt for me like the most frustrating stretch um you know i think sort of dead girl weekend was shocking but you know it, it, you, you yeah that was like getting punched in the face right this, yeah this is like getting like a uh stepping on attack or or like having a splinter that you just can't get out and just like keeps getting more and more unpleasant as the day goes by um and, and I was gonna go with an unending purple nurple, but okay, all right. <laughs> you, that's right. You, you had a much rougher uh, 
experience in in your uh, education. I say after having been crucified, literally. <laughs> uh, well, not literally, I guess, but figuratively. <laughs> Impressionally, it's between figurative and literal. <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly figurative. Yeah. Symbolically, I guess. Uh, uh, but maybe a little rehearsally. even more so than symbolic. Yeah. yeah. Ritualistically. Yeah, anyway. Um, what's frustrating to me about this Ranger series is they're a better team than Texas. They proved mm-hmm. they were a better team than Texas when they went down to Texas and they kicked the tar out of Texas. Right. Like, they... Yeah are a better hitting team. They're a more complete hitting team than Texas, who is absolutely feast or famine. I saw, you know, someone, I can't remember who it was now, but someone tweeted about how Joey Gallo actually has a fairly decent OBP. Well, Joey Gallo's OBP is held up by his home runs. If you hit a bunch of home runs, your slugging percentage looks really good and your OBP looks good because you've been on all those bases. Uh, And... I mean, he he has like a high walk rate, but like that, those are the two things, as you said. He did. He hits homers. Those are, he walks. And he walks fourteen like percent of the time. And and like, he's slow. He's not. And he's not a good on. He's not worth extra bases once he's actually on the base. Yeah, so he is frustrating to me. Mazzara is frustrating to me. He has tons of holes in his swing, and then just suddenly. And then, of course, Odor, who just, I don't know, that it was... Is even th- more so. so if, incredibly if you frustrating. Gallup, you know, then Rugnit Odor has been that explicitly this year, where he, yeah. I believe, has been a below replacement level. He is, year. yep, yes. Um, yeah, and like, he has 30 homers and has maybe been the worst 30 homer uh, hitter ever, I believe. Um, yes. I, yep. uh, we, we saw an interesting sort of track of like guys who have a WRC plus of whatever for that number of home runs. And I don't believe anyone has ever hit 30 home runs and had a 64 WRC plus. Um, it is exceptional how bad he has been. And, you know, I mean, and, you know, Texas gave up. They traded you Darvish. You no, know, they, they, they have they have Drew Robinson making starts for them every day. Right. You know, I mean, Beltre good. is playing, but, like, can't really run. No. Like, like you know, you saw when he, ground his, when he was grounded out, he just kind of is, like, he's doing the Nelson Cruz, Robinson Cano, I'm just yeah. trying to still be on the field, guys. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, Cano took some uh, heat on Twitter last night for not diving at a ground ball. But, uh, you know, at this point in the season with this record, I don't want Cano diving after ground balls. I want Cano on the field next year. So if he does not have to be running everything out and he doesn't have to be like killing himself at second base to try to save a ground ball that. You know, our pitcher was probably going to just give up <laughs> another hit right after. Yeah, I'm uh. curious with, with the Cano thing, though, because there is a lot of talk, and I think understandably, and it's it's getting sort of louder and more sort of common. But where where do you stand on the, like, should we, he be moved to first base? Like, how soon should he be moved to first base uh, sort of s- situation? 
Uh, well, right now I'm pretty mad at our first base platoon. <laughs> yep. So right now, yeah. Kanota first base looks great. Yeah. Uh, the problem is uh, second base because uh, yeah, right. Taylor Modern. Bama bangs or La Pesadilla. Mm, what a choice. Um, can I just have Chris Mariscal up from Double A instead? No, I mean <laughs> we do have some prospects in the system who play a decent second base, but they are all at. A plus or double A, I want to yeah. say. And, um, and none of Mariscal them is probably the one that stands out the most. Go, go ahead, yeah. sorry. Yeah, no, and and like Mariscal has looked solid, but none of them have hit to a point where you could say like, oh yeah, we, you know, this guy next year is you would feel in any way comfortable yeah. putting. Oh, this is a slam dunk. Yeah, yeah, no, like, no. Like you know, we we had. The, the stretch of time a few years, you know, a couple of years ago where we had, you had Chris Taylor and Brad Miller and Nick Franklin and Catal Marte and these raw guys who you could say, okay, you've performed at double A and triple A in a way that you should be fine at the major league level. And, you know, that is not the case anymore. Um, yeah. You know, we, we don't have those guys. And some of those guys are obviously now having success and some of them are not. Um, but, uh, that's not what we have here at the moment, this moment. So, and I think, you know, Cano's range obviously is, uh, less than impressive, <laughs> but, um, you know, at league wide, especially infield defense is becoming less of a priority or, or is becoming less valuable. I shouldn't say less valuable. It's becoming less necessary because, uh, yeah, it's shifting. becoming less necessary because everyone's hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Yes, I guess that, <laughs> that is part of it. And but also, every when when the league is shifting, uh, when everyone is shifting on almost every hitter, you don't have to be as you know. You don't have to stand in the same spot and right. make a bunch of plays. You know, if you have a team that you know, it, you know, like I want to say the uh, the Orioles don't shift hardly at all. Um, but that's partially because when you have Manny Machado and, you know, just good defensive players at every position, Chris Davis is a good defensive first baseman, you know, uh, you know, guys who can move, um, you know, and that's a strength, then you don't have to shift. But because so many people are shifting all the time, it just is not as essential to have exceptional defense out there, but, uh, it's, it's it's i think going to be easier to replace first base than it would be to replace yeah. second base which i realize we've been saying for about <laughs> since John Olerud left but but the list of second basemen uh who are free agents too uh in this off season is not inspiring includes who, who the likes of here? Stephen Drew who's 35 wow Always seems young, doesn't he? Yeah. Always seems like he's got some potential. Uh, <laughs> good old Wheels Espinosa. Who uh, just got sent to AAA from uh, Boston. I believe yep. he just got outrighted. Uh, Eric also Sogard. with Boston, <laughs> by the way. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I I mean, there's the Eduardo Nunez. He's okay, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's just, there's not a lot. It's, it's, know. it's. Thin pickings, and the ones that are on Chase the Utley. list who are 
okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Thirty nine. Bless, bless your heart, Grandpa yeah. Utley. We're really trying to upgrade our defensive range. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gotta get, gotta get my hands on Chase Utley. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ones who are, you know, kind of good, like Logan Forsythe, uh, have club options and buyouts and things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, not a great. I would almost say that the first base free agency pool has more appealing names in it. Absolutely, say that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, and you know. then we've got the yonder slash Valencia issue to work yeah. out for next year. Um, and I think you know that's something that we've talked about a bit, and and is I think a lot of people have asked me, like, what is the plan for first base next year? And perhaps it is reactionary, but man, I am heated with yonder Alonso at the moment. Um, no. <laughs> Um, I am. I, I am is, real mad. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't see the game last night, uh, you know, it's not necessarily to say I, it, there are multiple points of blame. Scott Service, you have a left-handed pitcher uh, against a guy who has a horrible, like, lefty-righty split for his career and this year. No, I think I'm going to leave in Yonder Alonso instead of the guy who explicitly hits left-handed pitching. And I, so weird, such a weird choice, such a bad choice. Uh, yeah, I, it's it's weird because it, it's tough to get. It, it's frustrating to get all that worked up about individual games and individual performances when the team right now is. Essentially, it, it doesn't matter anyways uh, for the rest of the year, but it's just, it it, it, it it speaks to, and this whole week has spoken to, the almost, or the, the near, nearly enough, but not quite there uh, moments that they've had for right. the entire season. And I feel like, um, whereas with 2016, it was pretty easy to concentrate that all into the that terrible june that they had you know they had that they started off strong they had good may and then june they just fell apart and they were never able to dig themselves out of that hole no matter how well they played after yeah. you know that one month did so much damage to their playoff hopes but this year has just been up and down and up and down. And then partly because of the parody, because everybody has been terrible. Uh, <laughs> it's toyed with our hopes a little longer than I think it should. But I yeah. think that this year, more so than last year, there are specific instances. And we played this game a little bit in the lookout landing slack last night. Like, what is your least favorite <laughs> managerial decision of this year? Of course, I immediately staked claim to a throwing Andrew Moore in relief during Edgar weekend when he had never thrown as a reliever, let alone in the majors, but including maybe one time in college, um, throwing him out there. And then when he was clearly struggling, leaving him out there, like he's just going to magically like, oh, let me just pull this ticket. Yeah, your 23 year old is going to just, oh, gosh. I'm not doing well. Let me correct something. Mm-hmm. No, that was that was horrible. And that was a winnable game. And just winning one of those Edgar weekend games would have felt mm-hmm. so whether it made a difference in the playoff hopes or not, 
just it was such a kick in the teeth and it was disrespectful to Edgar. I know that that's not something they can control, but just having it be this <laughs> beloved franchise player, you know, one of the greatest figures in Seattle sports history ever. And they just threw up on his shoes and I am, <laughs> I am still so mad about it. So it, mad. It was <sighs> exceptionally fitting that, you know, I mean, the, we've, we've, the you know, the numbers obviously you can go in and see that it's not really uh, that accurate that the team doesn't perform when there's a big crowd like they have a pretty good record when there are big crowds in Safeco over the last several years like they have a f- you know they swept the Angels in a home series last year that was really crucial like it's not exclusively what happens but these are the things that stand out and that is going to be what I think the lasting memory of this season is for me and for a lot of people. I mean, not the only one, but I think it's tough to say that that was not you know, where where it it ended, you know, in retrospect. Uh, Do you have a single most frustrating managerial decision that uh, has has (sighs) angered you? I I don't um and and that's not to say there haven't been a lot of bad ones um only that that's those are just not usually the things that stick in my head um and uh, you know for so much of the season it wasn't you know there may not have been optimal like bullpen usage or or things like that but uh there also were not many options just because there was so much injury yeah. and you know so it was like I wanted to be frustrated but I also was looking at it like yeah I don't know who I would be using here like yeah Tony Zick can't pitch two days in a row like Nick Vincent can't pitch two days in a row right now like I guess we should go with Christian Ber- like Christian Bergman ready <laughs> reliever that was that was a really frustrating <laughs> one like eighth inning tie game ready reliever that was pretty exasperating um in one of the Houston games, I don't remember which one, but uh, other than that, I guess like the amount of s- leash that Taylor Motter got at a Ew. first baseman, the amount of time that Taylor Motter spent starting at first base was pretty exhausting. When I don't know if Daniel Vogelback would have been better, but you know, I realize you're sacrificing posi- you know positional flexibility, but Th- that guy, he'll. Uh, and protecting Vogel, Taylor Motter's rot- roster spot over Tyler Smith, who is better defensively yeah. uh, and is now gone, yeah. over um, Mike Freeman, who. Right. Who also it, was very bad, but, you know, is. Uh, is again know, a competent around, shortstop. You know, they're around the same. You know, exactly. Yeah. They're, they're all sort of similar players, and, you know. A lot of this really wouldn't matter if some of the, you know, Mariners' top talent had performed uh, as as they could have. Um, but at the same time, when the bottom of your roster completely gives you nothing, yeah, uh, that sucks. So, which um, the bottom of the roster lately has been doing okay. 
uh, you're getting some production out of that bottom half of the lineup, and it's mm-hmm. mostly due to Mike Zanino not being a sucking black hole anymore. Yes. Uh, yes. Which has been Gamble huge. And Ben Gamble, who being a has... a little, you know, m- mellowing out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, is he as good as he was when he was uh, at the top of the, you know, when it looked like he was contending for the batting title? No. Mm. But is he as bad as he was in July? Also, no. Um, ben Gamble is a, a valuable useful everyday player i do not think he's a fourth outfielder um i i'm perfectly fine with an outfield that consists of hanniger gamel and heredia yeah i it is unfortunate that heredia's bat has fallen off so hard and i don't think we can i don't think you can run with him as a starter next year uh no. Maybe he makes improvements. You know, I mean, he is, again, he's still a very young guy. Both he and um, he and Gamble are 25 and 26. You know, they're guys who, and, and you know, this is Heredia's second year playing baseball in the U.S. Um, you know, he came over in 2006, or he didn't come over in 2016, but, um, you know, he started in double a in 2016 and was in the majors by the end of the year uh doing all right and this year has struggled some but is still you know i i i I think there's a little more in him development wise um but again that's a tough thing to say this guy has shown a little bit and but hasn't quite performed at this level. But because right. we think he'll develop, we're fine with go rolling with him. Uh, and defensively, he brings you so much defensively. Um, yeah, you know he would be on all those defensive run save leaderboards if he had been getting consistent starts all year. So mm-hmm. I'm willing to trade him being a black hole bat in the lineup if we don't have if Ben Gamble is what we think he is if mitch hanniger continues to look like mitch hanniger if zanino can maintain this level of production yeah. um, and, and even then like you know heredia's black holeness is a very different thing than like what start of the year leonis's black holeness was or like right tuffy gosawish or taylor modder have been you know like Guillermo Heredia, Guillermo has been will a always make contact. Right. right. Like Guillermo Heredia yeah. has been a below average hitter, but that is not, you know, like he's got, I think, an 84 WRC plus, like some, something that's like, you wish it was better. That is still 25 points ahead of Taylor Motter, who has <laughs> been, you know, a utility guy, but also played a lot of first base this year yeah. and might have been the worst hitting first baseman. Yeah, I'm ready for them to bring Sean O'Malley back last year, next year, and let him challenge Taylor Motter for that utility spot, um, because I think I would way rather have Sean O'Malley. Just fill him up with emergency and let him, like, I don't know what, uh, emergency, I don't believe does anything, but definitely doesn't prevent appendicitis, but I don't care. Uh, Nor does it prevent concussions, no. And anyone who's looking at Sean O'Malley's numbers for the last, (laughs) like, week in Tacoma after he did finally come back, he was playing concussed, I'm pretty sure. What was it? He he started the year, he had appendicitis, then he had a torn labrum. The shoulder. 
yeah. or yeah, or torn something with his shoulder, and then he <laughs> came back, was like playing a little bit, did okay, and then got a concussion. Like, yeah, really, <laughs> the full gamut for him. So yeah, he I, also I had a baby somewhere in there too. Don't forget about that part. <laughs> and the, yeah, and the, and the baby stepped on his toe, and it was <laughs> um, yeah, so it's been an eventful year for Sean O'Malley. <laughs> So they're 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 gonna they're going into the off season now. I mean, you know, there's ten games left. I think at this point, you know, there are, you know, a few. You know, you maybe you see a little bit, you know, uh, more of interest this this season. But really, you know, you need to be looking at the off season. And you know, I think there's as there has been this entire last couple, you know, or the last year or two. You know, a, a a back and forth of should they try and retool with this group, or should they try to rebuild and completely, you know, start over from the ground up? Right. Um, and I mean, I guess, or like, should they try? Uh, the problem with the retooling, you know, like I want to say, like, there's a third option of like going all in, but I don't know how much all in there is beyond what is. You know what would be retooling just based on what their money committed already is. So where yeah. where do you sort of stand, especially considering the current contracts that they have committed? Uh, I just I don't think rebuilding is feasible at this point. Like unless you're just going to eat the years of Cano's contract um, and make him miserable as you're burning the team down around him. Uh, Seager's value is going to be super depressed right now. Not only is it depressed because there are so many good third basemen in the AL, uh, in the league, really. Third base yeah. is really a position of strength. He's had a terrible year for him. Um, his trade value is going to be at its at a very low point, if not yeah. its lowest point it's ever... Definitely its lowest point he's it's ever been, especially as he's older. Uh, you have Cruz. He's can only go to an AL team, um, mm -hmm. and and just the market for power. yeah. As we like, saw with uh, JD Martinez, Martinez left-handed yeah. or right? Yeah, uh, he's ready, and you know a better player, and you know got yeah you know prospect, but not like any sort of major prospects. Like got a lot of guys who are comparable to what we have and you know not to say that you don't just need as many prospects as you can obviously that's the case but it it would not be game-changing prospects and it's i yeah. guess not I, I would say it's also not out of the question that if cruz you know finishes out the year that you make a qualifying offer to him at the end of next year and he may get a better offer from free agencies and then you get a you know draft and you get a draft anyway, pick, yeah which you know either you know if, if Cruz is whatever, you know, generally approaching what he was this year, he's essentially worth the qualifying offer, um, you know. So it's, uh, I, I guess, I, I it, as you said, it, it's not, there's not, you're not going to get a lot for Cruz. You're not going to get much for Cano, and, or you're not going to get much for, C well, you'll get plenty for Seager, but you would not get the haul that you would want for Seager. Yeah. And then, um, I mean, really, if you're going to trade the assets that had value, you'd very, you could get a, a pretty nice package for Paxton. Mm -hmm. But again, you have that injury concern. Yeah. 
and he hasn't had a healthy year and he's probably not going to he he would reap a a very nice package i think because of the state of pitching mm-hmm. um but because of the injury you know it might be it's tough to say it's not going to be the chris sale package it's not going right. to be the quintana package mm-hmm. uh he just hasn't had the track record of those guys so mm-hmm. uh exactly. that's your one piece maybe you get i don't know two blue chip prospects for him does that sound fair mm-hmm. um and then haniger probably has some trade value do you want to trade haniger yeah, it. I mean, it's tough because you have Hanniger for five more years at cost controlled. Like, if it it depends, I guess, on your, you know, on what you're expecting. Like, hey, at a certain point, you do need people to fill the field. You know, like, <laughs> if if you're doing that, and, and well, you know, then you call up Ian Miller or whatever, and you just you just have some very <laughs> fun, but also probably not winning games there for well, a while it would be hysterical i mean it, it is a situation where they would if they were to sell like the the state that they're in they would be one of the worst teams in the history of baseball like yeah if, if they if they oh, really yeah. sold um it, you know they would be abysmal which is you know obviously it's what you're going for you're trying to you know get a bunch of draft, high picks. draft picks yeah um but I guess my my sense of it is it would be completely problem. unwatchable and there would be no <laughs> fun. Like not unwatchable, like fun. Oh, the hapless Phillies or whatever. Like actually literally bad <laughs> baseball that you didn't want to watch. It, it would be that. And it also would, I guess my, my feeling is it's very possible that by doing nothing, you get to that point anyway yeah in a year or two um it's not a certainty but if you play out next year with nelson cruz and nelson cruz is fine uh you keep seager you keep paxton you keep cano you keep felix who also is untradeable and also has a yeah. trade clause um uh you know and you keep segura segura you could also get something for um but you're not going to get a ton, um, you know. Then you're you're in a situation where you essentially go into next year. W- well, you'll you have about thirty million freed up by not having Giovanni Gallardo or Hisashi Iwakuma. Uh, you take that money and try and get one or two good. P- decent pitchers to to fill in with Mike Leak um and Paxton and maybe Erasmo I guess <laughs> you know, but that's a, that's a, you know it, there's a lot to discuss in terms of that and we will be do- doing a lot of that this offseason but you know you essentially look at your roster and say we got worst case scenario health we got you know career low performances from Cano and Seeger, and you know Cano you could say well he is getting older maybe this is his decline and maybe that's normal that's totally possible Seeger is still in his prime and 
has a BABIP 30 points lower than he's ever had, and some of that is on him, and some of that is bad luck. And, you know, I think you can see a better performance from him, uh, you know, and if he is what he was last year, that's a, this is a very different season. There are so many yeah. position points where it's like, if one of these guys performed the way they did last year, you have a different season. If one of these guys was healthy, you have a very different season. And I, that's it's a tough thing to just say. This team, which obviously wasn't all that great, uh, can be run back and you know expect better results. But you know that was also 2015, where you know you ran 2016 back with a very similar team to 2015, but had Cano without double hernias, and you had you know, some better performances. You had a better performance from Kyle Seeger and it made a big difference. So, um, yeah, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm in the mood in a, of a mind that you retool this off season. You don't make major long-term commitments to any sort of veterans. Um, and you obviously try and go after Otani and, you don't sell any of your young assets uh, so that, you know, after after 2018, you know, you sort of look at it and say, okay, if, you know, if you have another bad year from Cano, like, it's not like Cano's value is going to shoot way down. Like, already no one's going to trade for him because of his yeah. contract. <laughs> like, that's not... Yeah, you know, you're stuck with Cano no matter what, so... Right, and Felix's value could only go up you know like already no one's going to trade for Felix like yeah. Cruz is going to be you know I mean if you're te- if you're terrible and Nelson Cruz is good at you know at the trade deadline you can trade you know you see what you'd get for him then but I I just I think there's enough of a outline of a team uh, that's a playoff team still in this roster that you go back you you try uh, one more time and because what you get in return for selling off everything just wouldn't really move the needle that much more than yeah. if you did it a year later. I agree. Especially because you're selling low on most of your players. I agree. Why not just play out the string one more year and see? And I, I do think that the window closes after that pretty sharply. Um, yeah. But you have this one last year, you've made enough marginal upgrades across uh, the board with an athletic outfield um, with bringing in Mike Leak, which I think it's I don't awesome. think he's I don't think he's going to continue to pitch at the level he is pitching no, at that's fair. Yeah. Um, he is outperforming what he did he's outperforming his what he's ever what done. he's ever done yeah exactly which I think there's sometimes a little bit of a honeymoon period like mm. Um, but also, it is really interesting to me to see uh, the the Cardinals' infield defense is not good. Uh, it is not a that is not a plus infield. Um, and all of a sudden, Mike Lee, ground ball pitcher, is pitching in front of a defensively talented or a, a plus defensive infield. And I wonder how much of a difference that's going to make to his numbers. Um, he is. Oh my goodness. He is on pace to match his entire season's value 
with the Cardinals, <laughs> which is 154 <laughs> innings. He has been 25 and a third innings so far with the Mariners. He has been worth uh, 1.2 wins by Fangraphs and is been was 1.8 wins with the Cardinals. Well, that is bonkers. Uh, you know, and it's uh, it's one of those things where it just really points up that sometimes little mental things can be huge for guys. Uh, he wanted to go to Arizona. He wanted to be close to his father, who was paralyzed in an accident um, and is in pretty much constant day-to-day pain. And just living myself with, uh, my dad is really ill, Um that wears on you. It takes mm-hmm. a lot of your mental energy. It is always with you to be worrying about that person. Mm-hmm. And just to feel like you are geographically in a place where you're a little closer to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a short flight. You're in the same time zone. You're now going to be working out and spending your off season in the place where you live and in a place that's close to them. Um, and you're away from the Cardinals fans. Like, let's not <laughs> underestimate that. <laughs> Uh, I do, I do kind of wonder if this is like going to be for him a little bit of a, a hitting a reset button on his career. It would, it would be nice, and I mean, as you said, like I don't think it's reasonable to expect him to be as good as he has been, but he doesn't have to be. All he has no. to be is what he has been previously, and that would be a huge upgrade. Um, I also think, like, just in terms of like the going for it next year. I think that the AL is going to be pretty similar this year, or to what it was this year, at least in the terms of like Houston's going to be really good. Houston's going to be really good. They, you know, they're. I think they're going to have to pay a few of their stars this uh, this off season, but they're still going to be really good. They're going to have to retain Verlander too to anchor that rotation because right, and and they, I think he's what twenty. Eight million. I, I don't remember what the breakdown on what was paid for versus not there was, but, um, but you know he's they're they're going to be very solid. Like it's not going to be really a situation likely where the Mariners are going to challenge them for the division. No, uh, unless the they Yankees, unless yeah. they run into horrible injury luck, which we know yeah. can happen. And yeah. Keiko hasn't been healthy all this year. McCullers, uh, McCullers has McHugh really are both yeah, yeah injury prone yeah they're they, they have some some fl- flaws and they have nothing in their farm behind them either they do not have uh, MLB ready pitchers that's true they they uh, don't have a ton of depth so yeah if there is if there is a chink in the armor <laughs> that is it yeah. I, it's not yeah. a big chink right. um especially after they go out. And I don't know if all these cost-saving methods that they've been, you know, firing their scouts and whatever, if they're just trying to keep costs low so they can spend on some of these guys or what, Mm -hmm. but. Yeah, but, I mean, so Houston, you know, Houston we know will be good. Boston should be good again. Um, Cleveland. Cleveland will be good, and the Yankees will probably (sighs) be improved. Beyond that... I am not sure who is going to be very good. Yeah, because um, we know, you know White Sox are going to be rebuilding. Right, Detroit is Detroit is atrocious. Atrocious. Um, Tampa know, Bay, Royals, I don't see them doing anything big to move the needle. Right, and they lose a couple. You know, they lose Lomo. They lose a couple guys. Yeah. That have that were bargains that really hit for them this off season. Um, mm-hmm. 
I mean, maybe they resign him, but if they resign him, it'll be at a higher cost. Um, you know, Toronto, I think, is going to be real rough. Um, and, you know, is just not in a, a great situation unless they make some big moves in free agency. Uh, Baltimore. And Baltimore is not in a great situation either. No, pitching. Um, Their pitching is... Continues to have no pitching. You know, yeah. uh, the Twins, it's tough to say because they have a lot of young talent and they if those guys make a leap, you know, or, you know, continue to make a leap and are healthy, then, you know, Buxton and Sano yeah. obviously are terrifying, but they also don't really have much pitching. And they're pitching and overperformed this year, hugely. Yeah. Um, you know, the Royals are not particularly impressive uh, and are maybe and entering a rebuilding phase yeah, of their after, own after a while so yeah. you know i think you you look at the angels hard to mm. say you know they, who who not, are their pitch i can never keep track of who the angels pitchers even are well the the angels have this whole situation where they have good talent and no one is on the field like garrett richards tyler skaggs and yeah. like all these guys who have solid pedigrees that just cannot stay healthy um and so you know they're in another situation somewhat similar to the mariners where it's like well if all of our pitchers are healthy you know somewhat similar to the mariners this year was all of our pitchers are healthy then this is a good team uh and otherwise then we need yeah. you know mike trout to do everything and they need you know andrelton simmons to stay good and they have to do it all with yeah talk about Robert overperforming Pujols. Oh, yeah. Pujols, the <laughs> aka the worst hitter in <laughs> baseball. God love him. Um, yeah. And then we so. have Texas, who are also, I think, um, in a weird They're, transition yeah. place. As far as I don't, I don't see Tex what Texas did this year being sustainable at all for next year. I just right. don't and, know about and, the uh, hit dingers all the time and score no runs any other way. Yeah, approach. and they ha they have some stuff in their farm system that will be helpful. Um, and you know, like Mazzara is insanely young. Like no more, however old you think Nomar Mazzara is, he's two years <laughs> younger than that. Yeah, exactly. Like it's infuriating. <laughs> but um, God, he's just turned twenty-two. Like yeah, he's it's insane. But um, but they're. And they have some pitching down at Round Rock, uh, and down at oh, what's their Texas League team, Frisco. Yeah, um, they've they've got some some pretty good pitching down there, but it's not anywhere close to ready, I don't think. So you know, and the and the A's have interesting pieces, but don't have the money to necessarily build on it. Um, and they don't you know, have so pitching either. Right, you know, I th it it was something I was worried about because I thought. Jarrell Cotton, Jarrell Cotton very yep. good, and then he was very bad. And very Sean bad. Maya, uh, you know, had very wobbly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sort of a similar experience. So, yeah, I mean, it's entirely yeah. possible that the AL next year doesn't look that different from it. And baseball is weird, and obviously we're going to laugh at this podcast in a year when, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Detroit yeah. is kicking everyone's tails. Um, but but it's, it is possible that... The Mariners are going to be in a position where they can contend with some of these teams. They're not going to be in the class of Cleveland. They're not going to be in the class of Boston or New York or the Astros. Mm -hmm. But there is a chance that they could kick enough of these other teams aside if they take care of what they need to take care of. And mm -hmm. if, and a lot of this hinges on 
everybody needs pitching. A lot of this hinges on what the Mariners can do to get a bona fide actual pitcher one <laughs> or two uh, uh, to anchor that rotation. Yeah. And there are some options there, but they'll really need to, you know, as, as you said, you know, shore it up. I think they're in a, but you, I guess all things equal. And I don't know if you can really remember this, you know, unbiasedly, but do you feel better going into the season about what the, what the, just at this moment, starting rotation would be for the Mariners of James Paxton, Felix Hernandez, uh, Mike Leake, Erasmo Ramirez, and probably Marco Gonzalez, or what they had last year, or this at the start of this year, um, of, I guess, Paxton, Felix, uh, Iwakuma, Smiley, and Gallardo. Oh, no, I definitely felt better about that than this. I mean, Mike Leake is the only significant upgrade in that second rotation. Gonzalez still uh, makes me nervous. Mm. Ramirez feels like uh, <laughs> I do not want to depend on him. And then, of course, we have Miranda, too, um, right. who I think looks worse than he is right now because he is tired because he was gassed and I don't know how long he was fatigued for but I am guessing it was it's been a while that he just yeah. and I'll have to sit down and look at his velocity and his location and everything but um, there were flashes of brilliance in Ariel Miranda this year mm -hmm. there were points where he was very good didn't he pitch against Cleveland and he looked so good? Um, was it Cleveland? Had... It was some. I think he was in his Cleveland start. I'm trying to remember. He he Look had a good yeah. It, I mean, back in way back in April, he had a good start against them. Where it was like a little over five innings, seven strikeouts, just one run, um, and two hits. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I I would like to see Miranda. In the bullpen, I would like to see Miranda as a long reliever, where you know, which is what we had talked about at the start of this year, um, because he has the ability to see his stuff play up, and he has the ability to reach back and get 95, you know, from his fastball, and uh, you know, he, I think, obviously, he has the potential to be an exceptional pitcher on occasion. You know, he's the only guy with a complete game this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, he had that Tampa Bay game where oh, he yeah. just absolutely lights out. Um, but, you know, it's a lot to ask. And, and if they're starting Ariel Miranda a lot again next year, then it's going to be trouble. All right. Well, what do you say we take a break and then we come back and answer some people's questions? Sounds good. All right. At night I wake up with the sheets soaking wet And a freight train running through the middle of my head And leave cool my
All right, now is the time where we are going to take some of your questions. Thank you, everybody, for sending these in. Absolutely. Uh, so we're, we, we've sort of broken up the questions. We've got a, a number of questions in somewhat similar veins, so we're going we're gonna to try and tackle a few of them uh, in, in groups here. Um, so this first group uh, sort of looking at specific players, players. yeah specific players and, and potential contributions for next year so mm. uh, we'll start with Jack McKean uh, who asks uh, do you think Gerard Dyson will stay in Seattle um, and will they give him an offer um, I would like them to give him an offer uh, he had a huge impact on the team you know it was hard to watch him hit at times but his defensive value his base running value and his versatility is just huge yeah um, you know we already talked about heredia and his bat not quite being all the way there i think having dyson uh gives you four outfielders you can feel comfortable with playing at any time um and also gives you some versatility on the bench, which they did not have hardly any of this yeah. year. And he'll be ready for the 2018 season, yeah, mm -hmm. after the surgery. So, yeah. And that was Dyson playing not healthy for a good part of the year. So, right. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't think he gets a huge offer from, from anyone just because his skill set and his, you know, his age, age uh, you know, are, are limiting. Um, I could certainly see him going elsewhere um I, I would not say the mariners are necessarily favorites to resign him but uh i would be surprised if they didn't give him an offer yeah um all right all right it's similarly in the outfield vein uh connor donovan asks is jacob hanneman much of anything no uh, no he's not probably not no um no. he is somebody who is highly regarded as a twins as a cubs prospect who became available and Jerry pounced on him because Jerry has this history of valuing other organizations prospects more highly than he does our own in-house ones. Uh, Jake Hahnemann has not put up in WRC plus of over 100 in the last year. Um, he had an okay year at double a in 2016 where he had 119 and he was repeating the level. Um, he plays a fine outfield defense. He's older. He is a BYU grad, so he's Mormon. So he went on a mission trip, um, which knocked two years off of his. That's why he's a little older. Um, but I don't see anything there that is especially elite. He's solid. I'm mad that he got called up instead of Ian Miller because I would rather have one. And it's not just because I'm an Ian Miller stan, even though I am. Um, but... I would rather have one elite skill, which is Ian Miller's base running, plus a competent uh, left field, outfield he can play, and a decrease in the bat than have Hahnemann, who's kind of okay at everything. Yeah. Hahnemann, I, I think I'm a little bit higher on him than you are. Um, you know, I think he's, ju if nothing else, just because he is bigger. Um, he has more... You know, I think one of the reasons he was a reasonably high, uh, highly considered prospect was he has the size to develop power more easily, because um, he has pretty strong speed. Uh, you know, he's a guy who's had 20, 25, 30 I mean, he's six one. He's levels. not huge. 
He's right. he's bigger but, than Ian Miller, but like so am I. <laughs> it's true, but I mean he's bigger than all of the Mariners outfielders except for Haniger. Like Ben Gamble is, yeah. I think, around six foot or not even. He's maybe five eleven. Like Heredia's five ten. Dyson's small. Like Miller's small. Like for for a, a lefty hitter who has pretty top notch speed. You know, there's a body for success there, but he has not displayed anything, uh, and he is older. Uh, he hasn't displayed anything above double-A, and, you know, I think he starts in triple-A next year. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe you see him get a swing change uh, and and do something, but I, you, I would not expect anything from him next year outside of maybe a little bit of time when someone's hurt. Um, Joe Vieira asks, uh, <laughs> concisely, Dan Vogelbach? <laughs> Dan Vogelbach, uh, human chess piece. <laughs> Poor Dan Vogelbach, Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. <laughs> Poor Vogie looked so sad last night. He comes out to pinch hit and he's just a decoy <laughs> and he's promptly sat back, sent back into the dugout and there's this Kyle tight Seager's. shot of him oh. looking sad. Oh my God, my heart, my heart. Uh. It w- Kyle Seeger was giving him endless grief. That we were right behind home pl- or right behind third just, or the first base. Just hard. He was laughing uh, quite hard about it, but uh, yeah, he he is gonna be a very weird piece to watch because there's no way that he comes into next year as the starting first baseman now Um, that we are well and truly tanked for the season i want to see just give him all the plate appearances i want to see them all i want to see him dhing over cruz i want to see him effort like let us see (laughs) as much voga back as we possibly can and just try to figure it out because yeah i I, i'm i'm i do want like if the intent is to ingratiate and have yonder alonso be locked in so that he wants to resign mm, here i don't think point. you can ch- i don't think you can just like say all right yonder you're sitting like here goes Vogelback. but i think you can give Cruz a day a couple days off um, absolutely and you know give Vogelback a couple looks at, you know i don't think that's gonna be a big evaluative piece since it'll be you know 10 15 at bats but give him a little bit you know that would be almost you know double that what he's seen you know in uh, the last year so um yeah he, he's it's very difficult for me to see him remaining in the organization this off season. except he has no oh. trade value so yeah. but um, i mean i could see jerry flipping him for like a long reliever or something a ryan garten type piece yeah just a yeah, yeah. all right uh, um and so the fi- the final sort of individual question here on a player is from uh, Jonathan Asink, um, and it is if rebuilding should Felix sit out twenty eighteen to rest or reset his arm. Um, I mean, obviously, you and I have both said we're not really on the the rebuilding team, but if they did go down this path, um, there's nothing. I don't think there's anything <sighs> that's gained from Felix sitting out a year. Like yeah. his arm is what it is. He could probably use with a longer rest to rehab it. Maybe you, there's some surgery that could be done that he's trying to avoid. I don't know if bursitis is something that you can... 
uh, maybe just resting bursitis is a good idea but um the arm has the mileage on it that it's going to have like sitting him out for a while is not going to magically bring his velocity back and if anything i think he needs to be pitching to learn how to pitch as a lower velocity pitcher to learn how to pitch when you can't just chuck it up there and depend on your velocity to get you by so yeah i would agree i think you need to see more you need him to work yeah you know and it's tough but yeah he, he he needs more more training and more pitching not not necessarily get iron glenn in here yeah <laughs> his legs have been fine this year yeah I will say yeah that, that is true iron glenn <laughs> we appreciate you iron glenn yeah. <laughs> all right yeah uh okay our next question comes from our own uh staff writer isabel manassian and it is a doozy uh you are in charge of the team this offseason finally make, yeah, at last can't make any moves, but can do all sorts of summits, camps, etc. What do you do, um, Kate? You you can take the lead on this. I know you have a bit of a better read on the different specific types of things the Mariners do in the off season than I do. Uh, uh, well, what, what they do don't do inst- they don't do instructional league, which I don't think is a bad plan. Uh, the players hate instructs. They are long and grinding and it's just a lot of games that don't matter. Um, so I love the idea uh, that they have instituted over the past year of just doing like a series of mini camps and this week focuses on um, base running, which I think <laughs> should maybe be a month long focus. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I want them to really hit base running hard with some of these players this year. Um, the hitting summit is great, and I think the hitting summit had some really positive outcomes. Uh, I would also like that to see them expand it. Like, I want Gareth Morgan to go to the hitting summit. Um, I would like, you know, for them to pull from guys from even lower levels of the organization. Because it is huge to have them, and you see them, I see them talk to each other on Twitter too, and like, Braden Bishop is out there telling everybody about the gospel of hitting the ball in the air, and um, he got Drew Jackson to do it, and now Drew Jackson is hitting, not in our organization anymore, but, uh, you know, these guys, they share things with each other, and they learn from each other, so get the biggest base you can, and put them in an intense but fun situation where it's really focused on just the guys in the team and um yeah i would like to see i would like to see it be a month and everyone be there as much as they can and um yeah that's what i would do yeah i i think i'm I'm in a similar similar boat to you what i I think what i would want is if you can which you probably can't because people have lives that they want to do in the offseason but if you could uh I think you want a player from the major league team essentially leading a few different skills specific camps. So you want Gerard Dyson. Uh, oh, you yeah. You sign him and you put him in charge of the base running camp and you send Ben Gamble and Gamer Heredia there. <laughs> um, All day, every day, extra Kyle practice. Seager, you keep Kyle Seeger away from him. <laughs> um, and, you know, you, you just you have like. You know, I just picture Kyle and Nelson Cruz like hanging over the edge, trying to <laughs> get out of here. Out. <laughs> you go back uh, to your power hitting summit. Yeah, and you you have those guys work until like 
until Guillermo learns to steal bases because he has the speed and yeah. he just does not does have not make the, the reads or, the, or the no. whatever it is. Um, Partner but, you know, Ian Miller is, up with him, like have absolutely. that cross cultural or that cross communication. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Ian Miller said on this podcast that he had learned so much from Gerard Dyson just from mm. spring training, mm. um, which I think was an undersold aspect of this spring training is how many of the lower level guys got to be in contact with those guys who are at the majors, got to talk to them, got to learn from them. I think that is huge. Get those guys who are the veterans Mm -hmm. to be invested in those lower level guys and helping them and, and like a buddy system. Yeah. And I think that's, that, that is sort of what my thought is, is, you know, put you, you get Nelson Cruz in with some of the younger, you know, power hitting guys at the you know a lot yep. of first baseman and you you know he'd say how have you trained like what is you know what has helped you be a power hitter and a successful power hitter and average hitter and you know throughout your career at this level because you know the mariners don't have a lot of great advantages over they don't have a bunch of young prospects what they do have are a bunch of veterans who have been exceptional at yes. a few things and who are renowned across the league as leaders um and you know they have to find a way to maximize that um and as those guys see their skills slip they you know I think the best thing that they can do for the team um, and the organization going forward yeah. is instill those mentalities in the next generation. And incentivize them. However, like, obviously you're not going to pay the money doesn't matter to them, but you know, put them up all together at a really nice hotel and like yeah. have them have, make a lot of fun, make it fun for them that they get to be yeah. like, you know, this leadership core, I think guys like to lead and they like to have some feeling like they're having an impact bigger than just themselves. And you definitely see that with Cano and Cruz. Yeah. Um, so just um, a way to like extend yeah. that. Yeah. So that, that would be what I, you know, similar to the sort of skills specific things, but really emphasizing the role that a lot of the guys at the major league level yeah. are, are having. And, and you put, you know, you put guys like Hanniger, who was a sort of struggling prospect to, you know, a year and a half ago um, that the, you know, essentially was sent down to single a because he wasn't, you know, he was hitting okay, but wasn't doing enough and sent himself he, down to single a. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Sent yeah. himself down essentially. And, and, you know, retooled what he did. And not every player is going to be able to do that because not every player has the same talent level or not every player develops in the same way. But And, you know, I like there's makes... Edgar Martinez is a great hitting coach and there's one of him. So right. the more you right. can like draw from that knowledge base, mm-hmm. the better. Uh, yeah. And I think, I think, as you said, like it helps, you know, obviously having good coaching makes a difference, but having guys who you watch every night do it um and are in you know who are your peers in many ways or you know are people that you look up to but are your peers you know i think having that be a point of uh you know point where the education is coming from has uh, reaches reaches people in a different way that maybe can be impactful uh as well so that that is something i would emphasize 
Absolutely. I love all the like share where you're from stuff, share a story about yourself, but I'm even more interested in share how you hit 30 home runs. <laughs> right. yeah, exactly. Share how you continue to hit the ball at age 37. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and what you would do when you were younger, uh, you know, and, and what you would have done to improve that you do now. So, yeah. um, all right. Uh, next question comes from William at Last Word William. Uh, who should be our manager next year? Can Scott Service be shown a better way of handling the pitching staff? Well, I think he's improved this year so far already in um, not killing his pitchers. He's still it, over. Yeah. He's still over reliant on the hot hand, um, um, and I think we saw that with Pagan a little bit, and yeah. starting to see it with Vincent a little. Like, mm -hmm. the bullpen rules thing is still pretty defined, and I don't like that. Um, mm -hmm. But he's also not murdering Nick Vincent with his own two hands. So, <laughs> you know, uh, A for progress there, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's tough to say. I, I Whether, I mean, I, I don't know that they... I, I don't really keep a great sort of tab on who other managerial prospects would be. I think they're obviously going to stick with service. Um, I think service's best asset is that he is very much in sync with the front office, which is why he will be retained um, because he will be, you know, not necessarily a total flunky, but you know, he was brought in because he is on board with what DePoto is going to emphasize. Um, and his bullpen management has been suspect and continues to be suspect at yeah. times. And also, like, if you go to any, every single team thinks, every single team and every single team's fans think that their coach's bullpen management is suspect because it often is. So... Uh, it's not, I, I think service is probably lower on the spectrum in terms of ideal usage. Um, and also the bullpen was pretty mercurial this year. Um, yeah. And they didn't, they didn't, you know, do them any favors. So, and also somehow know. this team yeah. held in despite, despite the injuries, despite everything that happened somehow, the Mariners didn't wind up super far out of things. And I think service de deserves some credit for that. Um, and the whole staff deserves some credit for that. For Yeah. It's, I mean, when we, I'm trying to think back on what it was in, in, in 2015 where you had players, you know, you had active, not insurrection in any way, but like there was, there were murmurs and whispers and frustrations yeah. like throughout the clubhouse. You had Brad Miller refusing like <laughs> advice from Robinson to know. <laughs> you had uh, you know Lloyd, the the weird dynamic between Lloyd McClendon and Taiwan Walker, um, where he like refused to give Taiwan Walker any credit for anything. Yeah, um, and like there, I I really enjoyed a lot of things about Lloyd McClendon, and also found his usage of players infuriating um but i definitely you know understand the sense of like this guy expresses emotion 
that often matches the emotion that I am feeling. Yeah. Um, and that's a satisfying thing. And I think that's, you know, it's not a necessarily a functional in terms of what the results on the field are uh, feature of being a major league manager. But in terms of managing your fan base, it is a, it is a skill set that can be valuable and service is understandably infuriating to look over and just see him making his little turtle face he's just uh, so midwestern he's so midwestern yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's just all internalized if we cut yeah. got service open i think we would see like a boiling cauldron of rage but yeah. all that comes up to the surface is like the littlest bloop that your crock pot makes yeah uh, i guess yeah what i would say is i think there have been miss misplays by service this year um i don't think i think on the list of reasons that the mariners struggled this year i he would be low on the list and his ability to trust and give sort of power and and manage manage power by trusting his veteran players uh is still something that is i think a valuable uh skill yeah and i think another thing to point about out about service is you see him in conversation a lot you see him in conversation with stottlemyre you see him in conversation with edgar with bogart like he is not making these decisions unilaterally i don't think um you see him in conversation with manny acta like he's drawing from that staff so Mm -hmm. It is tempting to want to pin the blame on the figurehead, but I, in this case, I don't think that that's the, a major source of our woes. Yeah. All right. Um, all right let's see. Uh, all, right, all right. All right. We've got a couple questions here about health. Um, and uh, Chris McLeese asks, can we hire some sort of shaman or soothsayer or medicine man to prevent the copious amounts of injuries we had? There's got to be a budget for that. Uh, and similarly, Johnny Thacko uh, asks, how can Jerry DePoto build a pitching staff, a starting pitching staff in particular, that can stay healthy? I know injuries aren't predictable, but way too many mediocre fill-ins. Um, it does... It, it absolutely starts with the players that you're targeting. And yes, like pitchers are always going to be more likely to be injured and pitchers are only healthy pitchers until they're hurt. Um, you know, Giovanni Gallardo through 10 straight years or eight straight years of 180 innings and then last year got hurt and now is a very bad pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so... You, you can't fully predict that necessarily. You know, Felix went like eight years without getting hurt, and now he's hurt a bunch. Um, you know, but Mike Leake is a guy who has, I, I mean, I want to say, I believe the stat was he's the only guy who has made 30 starts in each of the last six years. Um, so part of that is targeting guys who haven't had injury history, but usually if you're a pitcher a starting pitcher who hasn't had injury history um if you're good enough that people have been starting you then you are being paid a lot uh so the mariners who don't have many pitchers in their system have to find cheaper options 
and cheaper options are usually either not very good guys who are often healthy, like Christian Bergman, who are you know those mediocre fill-ins, or guys who have injury risks, like Drew Smiley, uh, like Drew Smiley or Marco Gonzalez, or uh, I I mean I guess Iwakuma, but not you know that's a different different sort of situation you know and so the Mariners could commit a lot of money to a guy who has a better injury history like they could go after Jake Arrieta who is you know who looks like a guy who's gonna make who's gonna throw 200 innings um, and has been a guy who's thrown you know around 200 innings and has is going to end up making 30 starts for the third straight year um but that's gonna cost a lot it's gonna cost a lot of money so (laughs) much money and it's gonna cost a draft pick and if you're not thinking that you're gonna be competing in the next couple years um giving up first round draft picks especially when the Mariners are gonna get probably like a in the 10 to 15 range maybe around there this year if they if they stay on this sort of rate you know that's that's not how you rebuild a farm system um and it's it it's gonna be tough it's it's tough to fire yeah i don't anticipate the mariners doing much of anything that costs them a draft pick this year I think that draft pick is <laughs> way too valuable. Uh, it's just with what's on the farm, you can't. And it's a strong draft class too. Uh, it's especially a strong high school draft class. Um, mm-hmm. There's some real talent out there. This this last year's draft didn't get a lot of positive press. I think there was a lot of good stuff in it. This year is going to be much better. There are a lot of really top tier guys coming up. So. I do not um, anticipate that they're going to want to give up positioning in that draft, especially considering that the farm system, I'm not going to use the phrase smoking ruin, but (laughs) after the Uh, trades, it is, it is kind of, and I don't like to say wasteland because that's not respectful to the guys who are there now, but it is thin it is just i mean it is positionally thin it's not even that there aren't great guys there it's that there aren't enough guys there Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and there and there aren't many guys who have really high ceilings or who who have shown anything that indicates a high ceiling yeah you've got kyle lewis and joe rizzo and then evan evan white uh, and uh, sam carlson yeah who who are both this year and yeah yeah who are are fine we now, won't see for a long time so yeah exactly so it's yeah it, soothsayer perhaps is the way to go um, yeah and and i think that only because there can't be that many more injuries it won't be as bad as next as as last year but um and because they have better you know less healthy op- you know they already have guys who don't have the same types of injury histories i mean like Erasmo is not spectacular, but he's not a particularly injury-prone guy. Mike Leake has never been an injury-prone guy. You know, Moore and, um, you know, the, uh, well, I guess Moore has not been an injury-prone guy. Um, He's never had an injury that I know of. I'm knocking on wood Uh, right now. 
<laughs> yeah. And so. It's that driveline, uh, driveline training. Get all so. of them on driveline, so, I say. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's it's a better start, I guess. The back end of your rotation has three guys who or three potential guys who don't really have much of an injury history instead of Drew Smiley and Hisashi Iwakuma um, who have a lot of injury history and won't be in the organization next year. Or if Drew Smiley is, he won't be pitching. I hope year, I hope Iwakuma is in the organization next year as a coach. Uh, <laughs> that would be... You know, I mean, if they, you know, they can sign him. You know, I think they'll they'll deny. You know, they'll, they'll decline his option, and you know, you could you could sign him to some sort of minor league contract. But he's just so broken that yeah. it really hurts. It seems like he's uh, at the point too where he is accepting that he is that something is really wrong. So yeah. the he just has to go on a journey himself to figure out whether or not he can ever pitch again. And then you know he's been in Seattle for a long time. He has a life here. I yeah. there's that award, that minor league award, just waiting to be named after him. The sixty <laughs> feet six inches award is God, not a so that's bad. not a name that can stand. Is going to be the Hisashi Wakuma Control the Zone Award and. Uh, uh-huh. We'll put him in the org, and he can help us recruit Otani. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, so, let's see here. Uh, we've got a, a few questions uh, here before we before we finish up. We've got a question to finish up with, but to take a switch off of baseball, uh, Tim has a very important question, and, and actually uh, Gordon Gross has a similar question. Um Explain why the best chili practices are no beans. Uh, and Gordon asks, do you have a good beanless chili recipe? The Mariners give me enough gas. <laughs> um, uh. No, chili chili needs beans. Chili needs beans. Beans are cheap and they are filling. They are a great source of protein. The beans are the best. Like hobo <laughs> stew? Come on. I do not have a good See, chili free, uh, bean-free chili recipe. So... We, my my roommate and I made curry the other day, and we made it with ground beef and potatoes and a uh, like bunch of different spices. Um, and I realized as I was eating it that it was essentially chili, just chili, yeah, um, without beans. So if you, if you're going that way, like you can just say you're making curry uh, and just make chili, but then not put beans in, and that's pretty good. If you just really don't like beans, but I mean, the real problem with chili is just that it generally is black beans when you should only ever eat refried beans because they're much better. But black bean is, chili is delicious. I don't know where to good. start with it's you. Just, it's just a, it's just you could be doing something better. You know, it that's that's all this. That's all that I make really a black bean coffee chili with like pork what? ribs in it. Yeah, is it, it is pretty good. No, it's amazing. Why is there no coffee taste? Why is for there coffee? <laughs> it's for smokiness. It's good. I don't have I'm to explain sure it's myself delicious. to you. I bet it's even better with refried beans on the side, though. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What else have we got? Oh my goodness. Uh, okay. Let's let's do one more question here, uh, and and we can finish up. Uh, this comes from uh, PNV at uh, Pacific Northwest Vagabond. Where precisely did it start to go wrong? 
not acquiring a power bat at the 01 trade deadline, letting Mike Cameron grow before 2001, Jeff Cirillo, Jose Mesa, the 94 strike. Oh my God, it's just... I feel like I'm being flushed down the toilet. <laughs> um, definitely the the non-tendering of Mike Cameron combined with waving John Olerud uh, mid-season in 2004, I believe. Um, those were two moves that, in retrospect, man, yeah, really, really not the best. Uh it's uh i th- i think somewhere it is possible that it went wrong when jack z decided to gut yep. the entire analytics department yep i um, i it jack it went wrong with jack z it all went uh, wrong i am perfectly c- perfectly happy with giving him all the blame for the current state of misery and anyone who wants to judge DePoto harshly after two years, you should just go back and look at what he had to work with. And a common argument is, well, you know, we also thought Jack Z was the great savior after just two years and uh, he was starting and, to turn and things Jack around. And Jack Z did good things. That, that, that was the thing. Jack Z did good things or that at least that front office did a lot of good things and they identified a lot of good talent uh and then they put it in their farm system and failed and to develop did it nothing. yeah so, and i think that that's yeah, the yeah. biggest uh what andy mckay means to the farms and just like how joyful people are on the farm and if you talk to any of the prospects who have been here before and after they're having a all compl- five all, <laughs> all five, five of them here. right <laughs> ian miller and like three other guys um they they're in such a different place. It's such a different uh, methodology and the results are different. They've won more championships in the last uh, two years than they did in the previous, I think it was like five or six years combined. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and that's going to start to trickle up. That's going to move up the line. Once we have, you know, a, this this team has been completely built on the surface. There's no it's lily pads, you know, it's just there's nothing rooting it. So once guys yeah. come up who have been developed throughout the system, and I know it's frustrating to see people like Tyler O'Neill, who was an organic homegrown prospect, and it hurts that he's gone. Yarbrough, Gohara, all of them. Um, it sucks that those guys are gone. They had to go to make moves that could impact the team right now but in a few years we're going to see those guys who have been here all along we're going to see joe rizzo move up we're going to see Braden bishop um and and things are going to be different yeah and i think you as as you put it and and i think we've we've talked about a lot the difference is drafting versus development um and We've seen two DePoto drafts, and I don't really have a great sense yet because there have been two drafts, so the guys are in single and double A maybe. Um, you know, there are there were so many high draft picks that the previous regime had that didn't work out, and some of that was injury luck, and some of that was terrible, terrible development, and 
what we've seen so far from Tapoto, um, in some, and I would say many cases, are guys who don't have that high of ceilings maxing out those ceilings. Yes, uh, that's or, exactly or pushing, what I was going to say. Those ceilings. And, you know, so what, you, what you've seen is there isn't that much high-end talent in the system, but what talent is there is being uh, accessed better. Um, and that is what I think of, of anything that Depoto has done, because there have been moves that I have liked and there have been moves that I have been pretty upset with. Um, and I think you, you know, there's reason for critique and there's reason for enthusiasm, but if you're going to look at anything and be very hopeful, it is that the development, both anecdotally in terms of talking to guys, as you said, Kate, who say like, Oh, there's actually a cohesive system. Yeah. Like, oh, there's actually a cohesive plan here. Like, I feel like I like know Tyler what I'm supposed to be working on. Is right. Like yeah. Someone like Tyler O'Neill, who was, a, you know, who was a Jack Z pick and was very much in that mold of, oh, you're a power hitting righty, but was, you know, not, you know, was young, but was not really developing much. Um, you know, being having having his potential shoot up from being sort of like lower end of the system prospect to you are you know a top 100 prospect in baseball you're yeah. one of the Mariners top prospects because they of the you know sort of adjustments that in the instruction that he was being given um, which totally so comes that, from the hitting summit and the coaches that were put in place to work with him and get him to start to take walks yes so and it's a I, similar step that we see Gareth Morgan going through whose walk rate this year at 11% is the sum total of his walk rates from his last two years in baseball. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, Mike Zunino is another guy like that who yeah. was on the edge of yeah, essentially being, you know, given up on with good reason, who has, has seen his MLB, you know, future potentially saved by better development james, james paxton, paxton yeah couldn't beat out nate Carnes <laughs> to start this to be the five starter at the start of last year because he was so inconsistent and he had struggled to be you know he'd shown flashes but couldn't you know show the consistency and they sent him down and developed him last year and he came back and has been one of the best pitchers in baseball when he's healthy ever since and you know, I think those are, the, you know, it's not enough to say, ah, yeah, like DePoto's done a, a bang-up job. Like, obviously, there are a lot of things that haven't worked, but the development is the thing that I am most impressed by and hopeful about. Um, and so I want to see him, and I want to see this front office have the opportunity to put top more top line talent yeah. in and develop it have some more drafts have more time to do more hitting summits and have the guys that are there be more likely impact players because i think that you know la the last decade we saw so many potential impact players flounder because of poor development and now there are hints that we may have a better shot at developing All right. Um, well, that 
that does it for the questions here. Kate, do you have uh, anything more to say as, as we send off? I know next week we're going to... Uh, oh, don't we're, don't we're, make promises. I'm not 100% sure we can keep. That's fair. That's fair. Well, we're, we're going to be definitely looking at some potential off-season moves that we think the Mariners should make. Okay, that, that's that? better. That that's a, better. That yeah, a, yeah, that, really? that yeah. that's a better... Uh, yes, we <laughs> might have heads. something cooking for you next week. Um, so we've got, you know, uh, one, one more homestand here this weekend to play out and then, uh, another week and that's it. And it's been disappointing and it's been a frustrating season, but I am pretty sure I'm already starting to miss it. So thank you to those of you who have listened with us and suffered through this season. Um, and we will come back and talk to you again next week for... Mm -hmm. The final in-season show, I guess. Yeah? Yes, indeed. Wow. That's wild. Yep. All right. So hope you enjoyed this penultimate episode. We know it went a little long, but uh, lots of good stuff covered here. And we will have something, I hope, special for you next week. Until then. <laughs>